Also, can you scooch a little closer? Okay. Hi, I'm Anne, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Um, today's guest is my son, Scops. Um, so I just want to introduce my 16-year-old who has asked to be a guest. Um, I did not coerce you, right? No, all me. Um, and I had always intended to interview some younger people about their ideas of grief and where they come from. Um, we talked about doing that with a, a, a group, but, um, you know, you said you wanted to come on sooner than that. And, um, I wanted to honor that, but, um, I would also want, that's really my first question is, can you explain to our listeners, you know, why you wanted to be on this podcast? Uh, yeah, I think that, um, first of all, we are fun. I think it's fun to talk <laughs> with you. I think that, um, it'd be a, just a fun guest to listen to. Not that the others haven't been, <laughs> but I think that like me being your kid, we have a good back and forth going. Mm-hmm. Um, also I think that even though I haven't experienced like an early into like loss of a parent or um something like that that Mm -hmm. really is really intense i think that everybody who is alive experiences grief especially throughout this pandemic and how that's affected like teens and people who are just like going through intense growth periods in their life um and i think that's something i can speak to Right, to have like that big disruption. Mm. And that is part of the motivation of this podcast was during the pandemic, I was seeing a lot of news articles about teenage mental health and how teens were dealing with the pandemic. And I just felt like people weren't understanding it very well from my perspective. And I wanted to really um, just help myself, but also help other people understand what um, adolescent grief looks like and that it really does take all forms. Um and I'm coming at it from the perspective of somebody who had an early major loss, but, you know, I think we all have losses in our teen years, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, so can you tell me what was your earliest experience of grief, do you think? And when you think about loss, like, how do you relate to that idea? Um, well, my first experience with grief happened before I was born, when... Um... We had the still stillbirth, mm-hmm. um, which has been just a part of my life, my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you didn't, you guys didn't try to hide it from you, me. You didn't try and like sugarcoat anything. It was just like I don't remember and at any point you sitting me down and being like, "Hey, this is what happened in our family." Um, like it just. I've known about it this entire time. Um, And I think that for a long time I didn't think about it as, like, a big loss. Like, I knew as part of our history, I knew, like, we had her ashes around um, for a while before Dad lost them. (laughs) Hey. Okay, sorry, we'll cut that out. (laughs) We'll try. (laughs) Um, But we had, like, her little feet prints and like the pictures of her when she was first born Mm -hmm. um and stuff like it was she was around Mm -hmm. all the time um but I didn't really process it as a loss until like 
it was much older until like last year Mm -hmm. and then it really hit me yeah how did that happen like how do you explain that there was a song um it's called baby birch by joanna newsom and it's i think i think it's about um a miscarriage or a loss of a pregnancy in some capacity and like there was one part that would always make me cry which was um your hair is gold your eyes are blue your hair is black your eyes are green and it's just like yeah i'll never know what color your hair was i'll never know what color your eyes were i'll never know like anything about you but yet i can still i can feel you so much Mm. and how do those two things coexist Mm. and did you feel that did you sort of feel like kiernan was around like a presence in the in your life definitely i mean i feel like there was sort of a saturation of grief around the house when i was young and i would like i would have dreams about her Mm. when i was little there's that one like home video of me in the car where i'd be like I said, like, I I can see her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, like, I was not using metaphors. Like, I have a clear memory in my mind of, like, my idea of what she would look like Mm. standing out that window. Mm. Um, Right. I feel like we should just explain a little bit to people who maybe haven't heard, like, the first episode that, um, yeah, me and your dad had um, one child, and then we had a stillbirth, and then we had you. Um, And... Kiernan was the middle child's name who died, and we... Go ahead. Never mind, I thought I was going to stay <laughs> and, um And we did, we celebrated her birth from the time that you were, um, like, six months old. So, yeah, she was just sort of a... And plus, I wrote a book about her, which you were always aware of, and used to ask me to read you parts of, so... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was just kind of like a part of our family, but she's a, you know, a, a non-living part of our family. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think that part of her like effect on us has also been like my status as the rainbow baby. Right, which, which is such a gross term. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> it's, it's playing into so much of what has been difficult about being the child that comes after stillbirth Mm. of the like miracle child perfect baby like living when the others couldn't and it's like there's some survivor's guilt there that that is kind of playing into Mm. um at least especially for me like i i remember i've felt all my life like i have to be the strong one and i couldn't really tell where it was coming from until like I got older and I kind of put together those dots Mm. but I also I like I remember being really young and like just feeling like I had to be emotionally strong or like Mm. I'm like like I'm I don't cry at silly things or whatever and it's just like I think that's part of where that came from of Mm. like I just I'm I have to be the one that's okay at any given point wow I think that's great for people to hear because I mean, I was certainly not conscious of putting that kind of pressure on you as a as a baby, mm. but I can see where it came from. I can see like in our just sort of our family lore, the way we would talk about you when you were born and how you were so perfect. And <laughs> um, I mean, I think we say that about all babies, but there was a little extra with you because I was so relieved yeah. when you were born. I was just like, oh my God, you're 
alive, you're whole, you're healthy, because I had carried a lot of fear throughout of the pregnancy. So I can see how just naturally you would you would feel all that as a kind of a, a funny like pressure to be. Yeah, and I mean, like I, it's a very natural feeling of like this is something magical in our hands because we couldn't have it before or like all of that. Um, and I totally get that, but it, I don't know, I'm just describing how it affected Yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, clearly you grew up in a family where we're really open to talking about grief and I'm kind of obsessed with grief, so mm-hmm. you um, have always been able to sort of talk about it in a way that I think is pretty um, knowledgeable. But um, do you ever think, have you ever thought to yourself, like maybe that's not the healthiest thing or ever gotten messages from your life outside of this family that like, oh, that's not great. Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just always normal to me. Like right. it was never like, oh, it's funny that other people's moms aren't always talking about this. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, other people's moms aren't always talking about this. Mine is. That's what's right. happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that when I would tell other people about it, like, oh, my mom's a grief specialist, it would feel a little weird because mm. I was like, what does that really mean? Right. Or like, I don't even know what it means. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but like little things like that. Yeah. Um, and I think also a thing about how it's affected me. And I think that it is really for the best, <laughs> this mm-hmm. environment that I've grown up in and that emotional vulnerability. But because of the society that we live in and everything, I think I did always feel like mm-hmm. I have to be the knight in shining armor who's like never, never worried, never upset. Mm. Um so I think I did feel that in a yeah. couple ways, but say la vie. Yeah. <laughs> so let me just dig in a little further about your grief over Karen. And you had that sad song um, kind of brought it up for you and made you think about it. Then what happened? I cried a whole lot. Um, I cried so hard that I gave myself a bloody nose. Um, that one time and then you and my sister found me and were like what are you upset about and I was like Kiernan and we hung out for a bit Um, and that was so interesting because it was so many years later yeah 15 15, Mm -hmm. well no 15 years after I was born but like 17 years Mm. Um, and yeah because I think I was just too young to process any of that when it like for most of my life and then I was like well it didn't affect me because I wasn't born yet like it affected the rest of my family but didn't affect me because I wasn't there of course it didn't and then it finally hit me even though you hadn't been born when she was gone you still felt the loss because you grew up in this family with that was grieving yeah and I Mm. and I finally allowed myself to really explore those feelings Mm. and feel that grief um and I wrote a couple songs about it, and none of them were very good. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that's kind of amazing for me to hear, because I think uh, my generation was just so different. We really didn't even use the word grief. We barely talked about it. Um, and of course, my parents' generation had a very different view of it, too. So that's a lot of the purpose of this podcast for me is to understand like generationally how our attitudes about grief change so I'm just wondering like what's your perspective on that like do you think um people in your generation are pretty open to talking about it is that your experience or do you feel like you're kind of different than most kids because you're 
happy to talk about it or you have like a lot of ideas about it i think that grief is always going to be a really uncomfortable thing especially for teenagers to talk about because it's it's just it's so hard and it's so heavy and a lot of teacher teenagers even if you're ready to talk about it they're not really ready to hear it mm-hmm. <laughs> oftentimes um and i think it does change to some extent with the media but a lot of it is just like that i think that it is somewhat universal of just like that i like not feeling ready to deal with it and not feeling ready to talk to your friends about it. Um, I think the fact that, like, therapy is becoming so much more, like, less taboo is really important and really good. Like, I'm in therapy. I have a lot of friends who are in therapy. I have a lot of friends who ask me about therapy and are like, I kind of want to do this, but I don't know. And I'm very happy to, like, help them in any way I can. So I think that's a really important thing. And normalizing mental health and just not feeling good (laughs) um but i don't think it's like immediately like you can talk to all your friends about it and have them understand exactly what you're trying to say i think it's always going to be i have to write about this or i have to deal with this through art in some way or like a lot of things like that That just makes me think about being a teenager and having conversations and how conversations when you're a teenager really, um, I mean, you can have close emotional conversations, but I think so much of being a teenager is learning how to kind of um, have group conversations where there's, um, you know, you're really learning how to have fun in a conversation and how to be silly and how to make jokes and make people laugh and Mm -hmm. um the idea of somebody who is grieving being able to talk about it as a teenager with their friends I think can be you know it's sort of not the right place for it because you um you don't want to be that person who kind of brings the conversation down yeah totally and it's like I mean you just said it like I've felt so many times that like this thing is weighing on my mind and I would like to talk to my friends about it. And usually you can more on one-on-one. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of really good conversations with like some of my closest friends, like just one-on-one being like, this thing happened. I don't know what I'm feeling about it. I need to like walk through it step by step and then really being able to help me with it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where it's really important to be able to talk to your friends about like grief, but it's also like in a big group conversation unless you're joking about it it's really hard like you don't want to bring down that conversation and you don't want to bring down a lot of things it's like you want to be a teenager you want to go out to parties you want to make dumb decisions you want to like drink and stuff (laughs) and if there's something getting in the way of that and there's something in the way of like you feel like you're getting in the way of your friends doing that there's a lot of guilt that can kind of come with that Mm -hmm. and what do you think about shame like I feel like shame and grief are pretty closely related. Do you, would you agree with that? Or has that been your experience? Or do you think about that in terms of other friends who maybe are grieving in a bigger way? Mm, I think that for our generation, it's a little less the case than I think it was for you. But I think it's still there. Um, especially like, I've had specific people kind of shame Mm. me for 
being upset with them about something and then being like, it's not a big deal. You just feel that way. Or like, you don't get to like not be friends with me about this. Mm. And I'm like, well, <laughs> Mary, that's not your decision. <laughs> um, well, what about when Mary I... is not the name I'm using that as a <laughs> I know. like Trixie Mattel would. Right. Um, <laughs> but when you were, okay, I'm, we haven't talked about this before, but I feel like and we can always take it out if you're not comfortable with me oh, talking about fine. this. But when you were younger, I feel like you did cry at school here and there. I mean, how was that for you? Do you feel like, did people make you feel ashamed about that? Did you feel ashamed about that? Or did you feel more like, hey, I'm just crying. I'm just at school and I'm crying and that's, you know, deal with it. Um, I think when you're a really little kid, it's very that. Like you're in kindergarten and everyone's crying at school. Right. Um <laughs> I think once I got to a certain age, I was not okay with crying at school at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Like, there was some pride okay. around it where it's like, no, I don't cry. I'm too strong mm-hmm. to cry at school. Mm-hmm. I'll cry on my own time. So what kind of messages do you feel like you get from, like, books and movies and TV about grief? Like, what do you gather from from that? Um, I think that... Because stories um, operate and function in such a different way than, like, real life, grief exists in a very different way, usually. And it's a lot of times, like, death and, like, loss is just so plot-driving that it feels like it means nothing. And it's just, like... It's not about how you feel about your parents dying. It's about now I have a house to myself, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I think that that's um, really important. But also, like, when stories want to talk about grief directly, I think unless the person writing it or, like, really controlling how it works has felt that really up close and personal, it's not going to be great, usually. And even when that person has experienced it, it can really go wrong because a lot of times it can feel so patronizing and so like, this is how it works. This is how you feel sad about this. This is how you feel better about this. This is how your friends will rally around you and make you feel good. And it feels very like you're just telling a lesson to kids. Prescribed, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but I think there is a way to do it well. I mean, have you read very many books, like, maybe geared towards young adults? I know you don't really read young adult literature anymore, but you did for a while. Um, do you remember reading any books where there was, like, grief was kind of being addressed in the book? Mm, I think The Hunger Games had a lot of grief in it, mm. but it was really, like, brutal. I think so many, like stories and books like that where it's everywhere and it's just a really brutal like apocalyptic situation it can kind of get drowned out yeah um i think the hunger games does an okay job of grief it's kind of yeah katniss is sort of always in a state of angry yeah mourning yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i think like the the sort of preemptive grief of like I cannot lose anything else. I cannot lose my sister, which makes her go right. into, like, volunteer right. as tribute. Um, the last book, I believe, uh, there's an intense part where she talks about um, overcoming addiction because she was addicted to these um, painkillers uh, and, like, pulling, having 
bits of her hair, like chunks of her hair pulled out mm. and just being really in ruin after all the events of the books have happened and ostensibly it's an it's a happy ending but she's absolutely torn to pieces and i think that that is a good like snapshot of it yeah of just like this has real effects on your yeah. body i remember what reading that and being like gross yeah <laughs> i don't want to imagine like my my superhero like really cool like badass girl with like whole chunks of her hair missing but Mm. i think it's an important thing like no this is not yeah this is just like like it affects you yeah in that intense way yeah what about social media is there like a world of grief that you're at all aware of in on tiktok on you know instagram like do you ever notice those things um well it's there i think because so many people are just like this is how we know to express ourselves so like something happens to you and you're like oh i should post about this or whatever and sometimes it's like no this is my business and absolutely nobody's nobody else's and that's cool um but there there is one instance that i can think of of there's this tiktoker who i enjoy um called icarus pendragon it's her name, her name's Berkeley, but that's her like username. Um, and she does mostly like fandom related like fan fiction, just not specific fandoms, but just like talking about fan culture and stuff. And it's pretty interesting. Um, but her brother died by suicide after she'd gotten like TikTok famous or whatever. So she was very much in the like social media eye. And she documented that grief really thoroughly. Um, and it was kind of incredible and heartbreaking to watch. Mm. Um, and things like that, I think, are really important because so often it's like, like, so sad, heartbreak emoji, thing. this happened to my friend, or you feel sort of far removed from it. But when... There are those moments on social media where someone is just bearing their heart to you and it's a stranger and you're just like, oh my God. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, it's really incredible. What do you, what do you remember about it? Like what, did anything stand out that sort of surprised you or like what, was there anything in it that you were like, wow, I didn't know that or? Um, well, she was just really honest hmm. and it was like, I mean, I don't know if she was really honest because I don't know her personally, but it felt very honest and things like she talked about how um, he 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 died by suicide um, on her birthday. And she was talking about how she was so like overcome with grief, but she was also upset that everyone was talking about how her brother died. And it, it was all the attention was on that and she didn't get any birthday like presents or she didn't get to eat cake and stuff and I thought that was really important because it it's like it's so easy for people on social media to be like hey to be like oh my god this person is so problematic they made their brother's death all about them and stuff and it's like first of all that's not what she's doing (laughs) she's just expressing herself and I didn't see anybody like calling her out for that or anything 
But I think that it's a really brave thing to do and a really important thing to do to just, like, let all of that come out and show it all in a way that is not, like, she was, like, crying into the videos and, like, just standing there and it wasn't, like, scripted or it wasn't, like, she had made it all come together and make sense for any audience. It was just, this is what I'm going through and I'm documenting it because this is how I know to deal with it. Wow. And I thought that that was really incredible. And she wrote some poetry, which was really beautiful. And then was she also doing the stuff that she normally posts about? Or what did it sort of take over for a while? Um, It definitely... I think the stuff that she usually posted about, she kind of pulled back on that a mm-hmm. good amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... But it, I think now it's mostly that. But the tone of everything has changed. Wow. Because her brother died. Yeah. I think that's... I mean, honestly, that gives me so much... That I find that so encouraging. Like, I'm yeah. really glad to hear that that's... Yeah. Um, that that's, like, happening. You yeah. Know? And I saw another one. Um, there's a TikTok couple in Norway who... They're lesbians, and they've been... They really have been wanting to start a family, and they've been, like, documenting their journey with IVF and stuff. Um, And for a long time, it was, like, watching them, like, renovate their house and also, like, going to the clinic. We're taking pregnancy tests. Oh, it was negative. Taking pregnancy tests. Oh, it was negative. It was positive. I'm pregnant. And that, like, joy. And then they had a miscarriage um, pretty early on. And then now she's pregnant again, and it's a really, it seems like a lot stronger pregnancy, and I'm really hopeful for them. Mm. But that, hearing about that, um, because I'm kind of on and off about, of like TikTok, but I was just like watching, like, oh, I should check up on them, and then finding out that they lost that pregnancy. That really made me cry. um, Because of like our experience with that, and them like talking about how hopeful they were for their rainbow baby (laughs) and how like excited they were um and that it was like a miracle child and on the one hand I was like that's wonderful and I'm so I think you guys are going to be great parents and I'm so excited and I really hope that this pregnancy um comes to term but it was also just like I know what it feels like to be that kid that Mm. has so much weight put on them of like you're the one who is safe you're the one who was healthy and there's a lot of like there's a lot of it feels like a lot of pressure to be okay and it took me a a lot of time um to come to terms with not being okay at certain points or not being like healthy at certain points or just feeling like I wasn't the kid that like that I was expected to be And I don't even think you guys were trying to do that at all. And I don't even think you guys put a lot of that on me of the, the like, you have, like, you're so perfect. You're so, (laughs) like, but I could still feel it. Yeah. And I kept wanting to, like, DM them and just be like, hey, I think you guys are going to be great parents. But I have experienced this and I don't, but I was like, that's not my place. And I don't want to, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Just things like that are really interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. I mean, I think as a parent, you might really appreciate something like that, you mm-hmm. know. 
coming from someone like you who had that experience. Um, so we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I, I just wanted to get in more, I guess. Um, so if you did have a parent, I think you do have some friends who've lost a parent, um, or sibling, like how, um, how much have you thought about like, oh, I should really try to support them or, or, oh, what, maybe there's something I could do. Like, did you ever have those feelings of like, I wish there was something to do, but I can't kind of? The thing is, I, I have to have trust in people to know what they need. Mm. And even when they don't, it's kind of not my place to tell them. Especially like the people that I know who've lost like a parent. I'm sort of close with one of them. I've been close with my whole, like, since, like, primary school. But um, we go to different schools now, so mm-hmm. we don't talk a ton. So I trust that he is doing what he needs to do. And I trust that if he needs me, he will find me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm open to that at any right. time. So... So, yeah. (laughs) No, that's exactly what I wanted to know. I mean, I just think, honestly, I think as a friend, what you can provide is a a more fun experience. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think it's up to the adults to really support um, kids who are grieving. And I think that's what most kids who are grieving would want is Mm. they would want their um, adult relationships to support them. They do have peer support grief groups but those are generally people you're not friends with or in school with you know yeah um so i think um i think that's right on target for you as a friend to just be like i trust them to ask me if you know if they wanted to talk about it to be able to ask me yeah and i think that is a big part of like giving the people in your life autonomy of like And that I've experienced in myself that has been intense. Okay, this is going into a different sort Mm -hmm. of realm. Yeah. But learning about or hearing about so much um, trans healthcare being taken away, especially for like minors, and they're always like, oh, well, think of the children. Oh, well, what if it's a mistake? What if, and look at all these two people who've detransitioned and they regret it so much. And it's like part of that bodily autonomy, part of giving people bodily autonomy, which everyone should have, is allowing them to be wrong. And I'm getting top surgery soon in June, and I'm really excited, and I'm, I'm so happy, I'm so excited for that to be happening. And there is a, a part of me that's like, what if it's not the right choice? What if, like, 10 years down the line, you regret it? And the thing is... Maybe that'll happen. Maybe it will. But I trust myself to deal with that. And I trust myself to like, to just, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. And that's something that happened. And then I go from there. And I think that we're so focused on like, we can't let them, like, what if something goes wrong? What if this happens? What if it does? What do you do then? Like, get into that (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so it's like yeah maybe these people are making a mistake not talking about their grief in a certain way maybe but that's uh, essentially it's their decision 
um, unless they're like three years old, I don't know. But like, <laughs> it's like, it's, if you're wrong, then you're wrong. And it's like, that sort of ideology, I guess, or that sort of like preventative, like focus, it makes it seem like there's a point of no return. It mm-hmm. makes it seem like if I regret my top surgery, then everything is horrible forever for me. And that's just not true. And it's like, if I, if I make a mistake in my life, I am confident that I can live with it mm-hmm. or fix it or whatever, you know? And I think we need to be more trusting of that. I agree. I mean, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I, I, I take a really similar view. There isn't a right way to go through life. Just like there's not a right way to parent and there's not a right way to grieve. And, you know, it's all about making mistakes and learning from them. Certainly parenting, you know, you make a lot of mistakes and grieving. I don't think there are mistakes to be made in grieving, but I think we, as parents, we do worry, although we're not, our kids aren't doing it right, especially when it comes to something um, like grieving, you know. Um, And I'm so glad that parents today are much more, conscious of that than my parents were about like oh we need to get them in to some therapy or grief support but I personally I do think that it's perfectly fine for teenagers not to want to talk about their grief I think it's I think if they want to be in a support group that's great if they want to be in therapy that's great but there's nothing wrong with not talking about it for until you're older yeah you know and I think that there's also that thing of like ever people will be like oh well what if you'd done something different what if you hadn't done the, made this mistake? And it's just, I see no point in that. You'll never know. Because I don't know. I don't yeah. live in that world. Yeah, you'll never another know. Another me in another world knows what that's like. Right. And he can deal with that. Right. <laughs> but like I, I always stop myself from being like, oh, well, what if I'd never made friends with this person who hurt me? Because it's like, I don't know. Right. Other things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Do you think of different emotions as positive or negative? No. Okay, great. <laughs> no, wait, I can go into Yeah, let's go into though. this. Because it always annoys me when people are like, I'm feeling, I like, this is a, a good thing or this is a bad thing. And I understand like, oh, I'm feeling bad today. Sure. But it's like, no emotions are good and no emotions are bad. The way that I like to think about it is more an energy level. So like sadness is a very low energy feeling and happiness is a very high energy feeling but in different situations those can both be good and bad like i absolutely love to revel in sadness Mm. (laughs) you know like every new year i lie down on the ground and i listen to a really sad song as the as the clock strikes 12 and i told my friends about that yesterday and they were like why would you do that it's a joyous occasion i was like it's not really for me Mm. like i it's just, it's relaxing. I feel at home in that sadness. And mm. it's, like, it's not an upsetting thing for me. And then happiness can be anxiety-inducing, and it can be overwhelming. So it's like, neither of those things are good or bad. It's just, I think of it more in terms of... Yeah, yeah I like that. Yeah, energy. I like that. So um, you said you sometimes kind of, yeah, can wallow in sadness. Um, what's the saddest book you've ever read? The Song of Achilles. Mm. Um, I got my name from that book. Mm-hmm. Easter egg. Read it and find out. <laughs> um, 
And it, like, it's one of the, I'm, I'm not a very easy crier, but that book, you remember, I, I went into, like, your room, and I, um, I was reading the last few pages, like, in the same room with you, or the last few chapters, and I was crying for, like, over two hours just reading that book, and you're, like, it's great that this is happening. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah, though, that was beautiful. Yeah. It was amazing that you were able to share that with me and like that you you felt it coming, I think, and you came into my, my studio and you were just like, I'm reading this book, it's so sad. And you just, I wasn't, I wasn't, I think you read it to yourself. You weren't oh, yeah. reading it out loud. I think I read a couple sentences out loud, but I'm not... I'm a very slow reader, and yeah. I'm not good at reading aloud, That's especially right. when I'm crying. That's right. That's right. But I just watched you have so much emotion, and I think you told me about the story and what was so sad about it, and um, of course, it made me want to read the book, too. And you did. <laughs> um, what, do, do you remember that book in terms, like, how do you think that having such a strong emotional response to that book changed your ideas about grief or sadness or did it um well it made me think about it more but that just the way that that book was written and the way that the all the memories and the way that it made you think about everything that came before really like i think it it did a pretty good job of like showing that experience of grief in a way of like how experiencing grief makes you reconsider everything else Mm. and you can't be the same after that yeah and I think that it kind of does that in a really interesting way where at, at the end of the book it's this big loss happens and another big loss happens and then it's going through like a ghost perspective and it's like talking about all those memories and you kind of realize like it's all in a different light now and I can never read this book as if it's something else right right yeah wow do you think there I mean I think I know the answer to this but I I want you to answer it from your point of view because I think you know what I would say but like really like what would you say about the idea of healing grief or there being like an end point to it or it's like it's like how if you take a million and then you split it in half and then you split it in half and then you split it in half and you split it in half and never becomes zero right um i think that's really what it's like it's like you can continue on with your life and it can get easier and it can get easier and it can get better and you can it can rule your mind less but it never goes away and it's gonna be part of who you are forever in a big way and it's like the person I am is always gonna be different because of that mm-hmm. yeah no I I really appreciate that and I think it's why this podcast has been resonating with a lot of people who didn't necessarily lose somebody like a parent or a sibling early in life because I think we all throughout adolescence we have big losses yeah you know yeah well i want to thank you for being on the podcast this has been wonderful any um any closing thoughts think about things deeply when you can Mm. 
I mean, when you wanted to come on the podcast, did you or do you feel satisfied by this conversation, or were there things you wanted to talk about? I think there were a couple of things. I think the trans experience and the grief that comes with that could be its own thing that me and Sean could talk about. That. Okay, okay, that would be cool. Yeah. Teaser. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening, and if you like the podcast, please remember to rate and review it on all the platforms, and uh, special thanks to Josephine Wiggs for the music. This song, Time Does Not Bring Relief, is from her album, We Fall. <laughs>